0: and welcome to the Doctor Who show. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is our February episode for 2018. And it's one that I have to say, Rob, I've been quite looking forward to for a couple of reasons.
1: Yes. And we've been looking forward to it for a few weeks now, Dave. We
0: have. We
1: have. So let's just say
0: right at the top of this episode, we are not recording our entire episode tonight because we recorded some of it in person a couple of weeks ago.
1: In a very timey-wimey way. Yes, Dave, we met up in Sydney. It was awesome. And we also had some special guests.
0: Yes, Rob. Do you want to tell us who they were?
1: Well, coming up later on today's show, we have Stephen and Dan from the New To Who podcast, one of our favourite podcasts. Yeah, we were very
0: pleased that uh, they they were able to organise a bit of a get-together. They came over from the west coast of Australia. I came up from Melbourne. And we were able to do some uh, podcasting together, and I think, look, the the topic was one I was really looking forward to regardless, but being able to do it with the guys from the New to Who show was really cool.
1: Ah, it was just fantastic. You know, first time I've recorded a podcast with anyone in person. How how about that?
0: Yeah, wow. (laughs)
1: Let alone with you, and also with some guys from a podcast we, we greatly respect. It was just... Fantastic, And, of course, we got to see the flight through Entirety, guys, later that evening, too.
0: Yeah, all three Australian Doctor Who podcasts had dinner together, and that was a really fun and really cool night.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll talk about that a bit more uh, later in the show.
0: We will, we will. But speaking of podcasts, I'm, I'm very excited.
1: Tell me why you're excited, Dave.
0: Because by the time this episode of the Doctor Who show goes out, episode one of Spacefall, a Blake 7 podcast, will be out in the universe.
1: Wow. This is really exciting, both for me personally, because I've been watching Blake 7 recently, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on episodes. Because, you know, even though we're friendly and we chat on Facebook all the time, we've never really sat down and talked much Blake 7. I think I've messaged you once or twice to say, oh gosh, how about this scene, how about that scene? But on the whole, I have no idea what you think about episodes.
0: Yeah, so I'll be really interested to hear what you think, and indeed what others think. So Richard, who's guested on this show before, and I, and we'll have some guests later on in the series... Uh, just going through every episode of Blake 7, one episode of Fortnite for the next two years. And it's a show we hope very much comes from a place of love. Uh, we're going to be going you know, really deep diving into the episode. These are conversations Richard and I have been throwing around with each other, you know, for the best part of 20 years. And there's no exaggeration. Mm. Uh, you know, Deep diving into these episodes, what we love, what works, looking under the surface for what you know influenced them, what they meant. But... We've also got some fun stuff in there. We've got regular segments like one called Look, It Was the 1970s. <laughs> and another one that we've just called What Cool Line Did Chris Boucher Give Avon This Week?
1: Wow. Yeah. Yep.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, look, you can find that if you uh, go to Facebook, Spacefall PC, uh, Twitter, at Spacefall PC, or if you just go to iTunes and hopefully if you search for Spacefall or Spacefall or Blake 7 Podcast, it'll come up and if you're interested in Blake 7 or you're wanting to get into Blake 7 and maybe discover it with us, you're very welcome to join us. And I hope that uh, some of our listeners will.
1: Fantastic. And I can get away with saying this because it's not my show, but I think there's real appetite for a Blake 7 podcast out there because unlike Doctor Who, it's not really that well represented in podcast land.
0: No, there's been a couple that have very much done the sort of what you'd almost call new to Blake 7 version of a podcast where they've sat down and discovered it and you know, sort of superficially looked at it, which is a very fun thing to do. Mm. But this is one that is very much about two people who are really big fans of the series. And as I say, we're we're going to have a fun look at it, but also, as I say, we are diving deep into this and looking right under the surfaces what's going on in this show and the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I think that there is a place for that, and I hope, I hope we find an audience.
1: All righty, so check it out, people, Spacefall. Now, moving along, I've recently... Not read, but listen to Matt Lucas's autobiography.
0: I'll ask the obvious question. Has he been around enough, long enough to have an autobiography?
1: I think so, because of the format he chooses to do it in. It's basically an A to Z, and he describes it as, you know, he doesn't have much attention span, so he likes sort of flitting from topic to topic, and, you know, he might be 1983 in one of his entries, and then it's 2011 in the next one, and then it's 1999 in the next one. And it actually makes for quite a, an interesting listen. Some of the segments he does are fairly short. Some of them are fairly long. For example, for G, he does gay. You know, and, and that goes for an hour. An hour out of this nine-hour book is just wow. the letter G. Uh, whereas other entries are, are relatively brief. Um, some of the brief mentions he makes in the book are of his um, the man he married, uh, Kevin... Uh, And he doesn't really want to say too much about him. Obviously, it didn't end so well. Um, And and Kevin, unfortunately, took his own life and so on, as many people will know. I I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's a a really sad story. So he doesn't go too deep into that. Although when he does talk about Kevin, he starts saying, oh, and he left in the TARDIS or he left with the TARDIS. I think, what does that mean? And then the story comes out later in the piece that Matt Lucas actually bought the Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant Series 1 TARDIS. They apparently upgraded it for Tennant's second series, and he bought the the police box from Series what? 1 the, and 2. The
0: actual, the actual BBC prop? Yes.
1: yes, Goodness. Goodness. And he had it in his basement. It was like a present for Kevin. He had it in his basement, and there was fairy lights in it and all sorts of stuff. And when Kevin moved out, he took it with him, and then Matt Lucas doesn't actually know what, what happened to it. He thinks it was given to a school or something like that. And it's... I've never heard that story in my life. That Not that he bought that TARDIS, not that it disappeared, none of it. You know, so there's just little nuggets like that in there. Um, it was a really interesting thing to listen to.
0: Well, there you go. I, I had no idea about any of that. So clearly it is a lot more than just his, his, his TV career.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's talking about being at school and being in school plays and, you know, being on the comedy circuit. And he's really open and honest about pretty much everything and where he doesn't want to be he says look this is this is a private thing and i'm not going to say too much about that and it comes across particularly when you're listening to him in his own voice it comes across as a really entertaining sometimes sad sometimes funny but genuine sort of thing to listen to i i really liked it
0: you've interested me there i wouldn't have expected to be because you know i'm, I'm not you know i'm not really a fan of matt lucas in that you know i haven't really followed his comedy career anything so Mm. i really only know him from doctor who and so i didn't know there was all that background
1: oh absolutely and and even the lead up to little britain like the little tv projects they were doing in the uk that we didn't really see over here you can go on youtube now and find all of them and and they're comedians at the start of their career let, let's be honest but then that eventually turns into the little britain radio show and then that finesses a bit more into the little britain tv series so you can sort of see how they became an overnight success because they'd done an awful lot of hard work beforehand
0: yeah it's, a, it's an overnight success that took years and years and years to happen
1: yeah, yeah yeah exactly so look i i really enjoyed that and you know it's not really a doctor who autobiography his mentions of doctor who are fairly brief and sparing but if you like him in Doctor Who, and obviously if you like Little Britain, and I know a lot of people out there do, yeah, do give this a listen.
0: Okay, there you go. I, I hadn't done any of that. I'm a little little surprised.
1: <laughs>
0: Speaking of people who have been in the last series of Doctor Who, yes, Michelle Gomez has got a new role.
1: She has. I saw this. I was so surprised. But I thought you were probably the best person to talk about this because Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Dave, is a show that sort of passed me by.
0: Oh, it was very much in my wheelhouse. I was exactly the right age for Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And basically my entire teenage years are just being rebooted en masse <laughs> at the moment.
1: How it's, do you feel about that?
0: Oh, conflicted because some of them are great and some of them are terrible. And even some of the great ones, I sort of do sit there and go, but why? Mm. Um, um, you know, Roseanne, the reboot. Well, it's not even a reboot. It's a continuation, really. It's the same cast, same character, same story, although I think they're bringing Dan back from the dead or something.
1: Well, Steve, that goes over my head because I never watched Roseanne
0: Oh, you see, again, this was a big part of my my teenage years, Roseanne. It was a big deal at the time, and that's that's coming out next month. Yeah, yeah, and I, I certainly remember watching that, and ditto Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is now casting Michelle Gomez as a regular. Now, when I heard that, I thought that maybe she was going to play one of the aunts because i thought she would be perfect for one of those sort of characters but she's actually playing what i think is going to be the big bad of the
1: series Mm. do you think that could be too close to doctor who well
0: that's kind of what I, i i thought as well because when i thought that she was playing one of the aunts i thought isn't this good it's a different sort of character it's a character that can have that sort of sparkle uh, that, that Michelle Gomez does bring to the character. I mean, Sabrina, if it's anything like the 90s version, which I'm told it may not be, but if it is in the style of the 90s version, that is a very over-the-top type of show. Mm. Uh, and so, again, that I think would suit what I see as Michelle Gomez's performance. But, yeah, to hear her playing the big bad, I sort of thought, well, maybe it is just a case of come and do Missy for us.
1: It could be. It could be. It's interesting, though, now that Doctor Who has broken a bit more in America, obviously our American friends will tell us it was big in the 70s. You know, what are you talking about? (laughs) It's like, well, I mean really broken, you know, like really fairly mainstream you know on BBC America and all that now that that's happened and the the stars are all over there at conventions and mixing with all these other actors it seems to be they can sort of break into US TV or even film like Karen Gillan for example a little easier these days than perhaps they would have in the 80s maybe it wasn't even an option in the 80s you know Davo for as much as i love him could you imagine Davo having gone into I don't know, Dallas or something?
0: No, but it, I think also the, the modern realities of travel between countries being so much easier and filming techniques being so much easier that you can sort of flint in and out mm. does help a lot. I mean, you hear about the stories of when Patrick Stewart first went across to do Star Trek The Next Generation, and he was sort of you know expected to give up his life for months on end and live out of a suitcase in a hotel. Um, the, the same when the cast of Red Dwarf were being courted to come and to go over and do the U.S. Red Dwarf. And the reason why Chris Barry didn't, no matter how many dollars they sort of threw in front of him, was he felt like he would have to give up his entire life and go and live in America for six months uninterrupted because Mm. you couldn't just flip back and forth in the way you you can a lot more easily these days.
1: That's right. Having said that, though, Chris Barry did try and have that Hollywood career for a little while. He's in those Tomb Raider films. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) we move on. (laughs)
0: There's a reason why he suddenly went back to Red Dwarf.
1: There is indeed Moving along Dave I'm really excited about this uh, Titan has had the Doctor Who comic Licence for a little while now Before that it was IDW Of course there's an ongoing strip in, in Doctor Who magazine As well but Titan's had it for a few years Now and as well as doing You know ongoing sort of Strips with the uh, the current Doctors They've also been doing mini series With past Doctors They've done a Tom Baker one They've done a, a Pertwee one. And now they're going to do a Sylvester McCoy one. Oh. Mm. Now, this is of particular interest to me because when I started buying Doctor Who magazine back in 86, uh, Colin Baker was still the doctor in the comic strip. Um, there was classic comics around that time like voyager and things like that really good stuff yeah but he soon disappeared from that comic strip and sylvester started popping up in the comic strip and then stayed there for a long 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 time so for me seeing sylvester mccoy in a comic strip reminds me of buying doctor who magazine like 30 30 years ago 31 years ago it's fantastic so i'm very excited about this it'll only be a mini series of of, i guess five or six issues or something but that's enough and then it'll get collected into a graphic novel I'm really excited
0: well I just said Rob my entire teenage years are being rebooted (laughs) (laughs) along with Sylvester McCoy in in Doctor Who comic strips yeah Um, yeah that's that's really cool I mean I have very fond memories of the McCoy comic strips because it was kind of you know that that boyhood you know early teenage era when I saw them and I, I did mention I think I was given as a present last year the reproductions of some of those McCoy ones. I mean of the Daleks and Pure Blood and um, Final Genesis. And so I really have a very fun place for McCoy comics. Is it is it McCoy and Ace or McCoy and Mel or McCoy and someone new?
1: McCoy and Ace, given the covers we've been sent so right. far. Right. Uh which is which is just fantastic. And 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 Ben Aronovich and Andrew Cartmel are back involved with it as well.
0: Oh well that is mm. very cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so you know, I I failed to mention that, but yes, that's that's also happening as well. It's really good, and they're sort of spruiking it as the thirtieth anniversary of remembrance of the Daleks, which seems to be a fairly tenuous end of anniversary to sort of hang things on. But uh, so well, the
0: the thirtieth anniversary of the twenty-fifth anniversary.
1: That's right. Exactly right. Wouldn't that just be the 55th anniversary? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yes, look, uh, people, look out for this coming in June. I think your comic book retailers can start ordering it from April and the actual issues will start rolling out in June. Very exciting stuff.
0: Very nice. There's another piece of merchandise that's been announced. Mm -hmm. Now, back when Philip Morris returned the Web of Fear and Enemy of the World, and they were rushed on to DVD releases in a very quick manner.
1: Oh, weren't they just?
0: And every fan was saying cynically, look, I'm buying it, but I know that in six months' time they'll have the special edition with all the extras, (laughs) but I don't care. Well, look, let's be fair to them. They've waited nearly five years, but now they are releasing the special edition of The Enemy of the World.
1: Yes, yes, that six months came and went, a year came and went, a year and a half came and went, and was like, oh, maybe this is all we were getting. But no, (laughs) it's finally here. I don't know what took them so long.
0: No, I'm not sure what the impetus for this was. Maybe it's the sale of some of the other DVD specials they've been releasing. Of course, there is speculation because the fan theory for a long time was the reason why they delayed these special editions was they wanted to wait until they had the Web of Fear Part 3. Mm -hmm. So this has kicked off a whole new range of speculation that, well, if Enemy of the World is coming, maybe Web of Fear is coming with Part 3 in it, Alternatively, maybe they've given up completely on Web of Fear Part 3 and they've gone, we'll decide it will destroy each enemy of the world.
1: It's really hard to say, isn't it? Certainly the fact they're not pushing out a Web of Fear alongside this, even though there's been plenty of time to create both. Hmm. Oh, Dave, the Omni-Rumour. It's always uh-huh, rearing Omni-rumour. its head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, it's all good fun.
1: It certainly is. Now, uh, something I just want to briefly mention for a couple of reasons. Uh, Gallifrey One has just come and gone for another year. Anyone who's into Doctor Who, your Twitter feeds would have been taken over this past weekend with just, look at what's happening at Galley One. Look at this panel at Galley One. Look at this person signing my book at Galley One. Look at us. We're in the, what do they call it, LobbyCon. It's 3am. We're at Galley One.
0: I'm I'm having problems with room service at Galley One. I've seen that one as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's really? Yeah. (laughs) anyway there's there's a reason i'm mentioning this first of all i'll say galley one saw some big news announced dave that murray gold has quit. i'm
0: sorry i couldn't quite hear that over the music
1: <laughs> now this is something that i think everyone has known for months and months and months it started off as a bit of a rumor and then it pretty much solidified but at galley one murray gold was actually there and said that he has quit and so it became news again um so I guess we can take a moment to reflect on that. Uh, Dave, your brief thoughts?
0: My first thought is, did Chris Chibnall take him out to lunch to break the news? <laughs> yes. Uh, look, I, I, I am not shocked by it. I think it is you know, the worst kept secret in Doctor Who. I think that Murray Gold will leave with a very mixed legacy and one that will get better as time goes on. Some of his music was phenomenally good. Some of it really put Doctor Who soundtracks you know, on the world stage and he certainly deserves to be commended for that. Yeah. Uh, some of his music was also terrible, and I think some of it did kind of um, sum up the more saccharine aspects of some parts of New Who, and he was linked with that in some fans' minds. But as time goes on, you'll forget the, the weaker stuff and you'll remember the good stuff, and I think you'll be remembered very well.
1: Oh, I think so. I mean, some people were talking about it on Twitter this past week. I threw in my two cents, which was essentially, I'd like the music men or women on the show to change pretty much as often as doctors, maybe every three to four years, and certainly as often as showrunners, you know, if showrunners are doing five years or six years or something. But Murray, Murray, Murray's been there since 2005. I think that's just way too long. Um, He has done some wonderful stuff. He has produced some pretty mediocre stuff. I agree that people will remember the good stuff and kind of tend to forget the bad stuff over time. I totally agree with that. But I just look back and I wish we'd had more variety. I wish we'd had two or three people doing music at this point in time and we could look back not just on different showrunners, not just different doctors, not just different companions, but different music people as well and say, oh, that was the electronic era and that was the whatever it was era. And, you know, that was the era where we just had a little, you know, I don't know, four-piece doing uh, everything, that that series. It was really weird, you know, whatever it might be. Do you know where I'm coming from?
0: I was about to say something very, very similar. I actually like the idea of having a number of different composers that different directors can call upon or the the showrunner can call upon and say, this is one that would particularly suit this composer. We're going to use them. Or this is a more fun one that this composer could do something with. We'll use them. Or this is going to use a more electronic sound. We'll use them. That, I think, would be very interesting. But again, we have reflected in the past that... Doctor Who is now made with a much more house style. Mm-hmm. And I guess a house musical style is a part of that.
1: Yeah, and, and you're certainly right that composers can can have their strengths. I mean, just think of someone like Kef McCulloch. And you think of what he did on Remembrance of the Daleks, which is a, a show that I think everyone loves, but the musics are like... Doo, 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 doo. And, and, and that clapping and...
0: <laughs> yeah. You,
1: you yeah know, that really fake... Cl- sort of clapping that happens and you think oh god that's terrible but then there are some kef mcculloch scores that are quite all right you know i think it just depends on you know again what they're asked to do
0: Uh, absolutely and and, yeah i I think variety in doctor who is really really good Uh, i like different directors i like different directorial styles i like different writing styles and i'd like to see different musical styles but this is the third episode of our podcast in a row where i've made the point that we are heading towards a doctor who reset probably bigger than anything we've seen since 1970 and this is just another little aspect of that reset
1: oh yeah and and it couldn't come along too soon isn't that funny for a show about change people will defend murray gold and how long he stayed to the death and i think no the show is about change just like we change doctors and companions gosh i'd love to see a different companion every series dave (laughs) <laughs> I just want to see new music coming in all the time and just keeping it fresh and interesting. Of course, although he had his moments where he'd do something a bit out of the box, on the whole, Murray was pretty samey.
0: Yeah, there was certainly, as I said, a house style. And a change from that, I think, will be good.
1: Absolutely.
0: So that's all the news we've got. Just a couple of little short topics I want to bring up, Rob. And this is about watching, Doctor Who. Yes. Uh, the first one is, I just wanted to say, the other day I watched Robot... And it, it is really, really good. I love it.
1: What made you want to pull that out?
0: I have no idea. Just one of those random in, impulses. I thought, got some time to kill. I want to watch a story. Oh, I haven't watched Robot for a while. I'll watch that one.
1: How long do you think it had been?
0: Oh, been a few years. Yeah? But yeah, it's not, it's not one I pull off that often. Um, you know, if you're going to watch a Tom, you're not likely to watch that one.
1: No, no. I'm trying to think of when I would have last watched it. It could be 10 years for me. Wow! Yeah, it's really it's really not one I pull out all that all that often at all. But it is a pretty decent story.
0: It two two things really stood out for me. The first was how even in the middle of this very Pertwee story, mm. Tom Baker is just instantly Tom Baker, and you can feel him starting to change the tone of the show around him by sheer force of personality as as it happens. And it's really fun to watch that, particularly in the last episode where the way he handles the robot and deals with it and the emotions he shows are so different to how Pertwee would have done it. And it, it, it. It does change a lot. But the other point is for a story that, it, look, it is pretty basic. It is just so well written. The characters are so alive and the dialogue flows so lovely
2: mm.
0: and, and naturally. And, you know, Terrence Dix didn't get to write a lot of actual scripts. He, he probably wrote a lot of Doctor Who as editor, but he didn't write that many stories himself. No that's right, but yeah his, his dialogue and his characters really are good. He really is a very talented writer,
1: oh, absolutely, quite underrated in terms of scripts, I think because, as you say, he didn't write that many uh, and is more warmly remembered for the uh, the target novels, I guess
0: yeah uh, the other thing I was going to say, speaking of uh not being warmly remembered mm-hmm. i've decided i'm going to rewatch Trial of a Time Lord, but <laughs> You know, I'm going I'm... to do it. I'm going to do it the way that nature intended, right. which is one a week for 14 weeks.
1: Wow. Have you lost a bet with someone? Or what's, <laughs> what's going well, on?
0: A number of podcasts and, and friends have been talking for a long time about you know whether trial works or doesn't work and what it would have been like watching it go out and all the rest of it. And I sort of thought, you know maybe it is time to do a bit of a rewatch of trial and pull it out. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to really evaluate this, let's try watching it as the audience did back in 1986 hmm. at an episode a week.
1: Are you going to try and do it at the same time on the same day each week? Are you going that far? Or... Look,
0: I'm going to try and do it on Sunday evenings when I'm you know, sitting, sitting down for the end of the week. If I can't some weeks, I obviously won't. I'm not going to be that rigid and plan right. my entire life around it.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: But yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to be very interested to see how I find it, because there's some stories in there that I'm, I'm quite fond of, others not so much. Uh, I have a feeling Mind Warp will be much easier to watch one episode at a time than on mass. I do struggle with that on mass because it is so intense.
2: Yes, true. Very true.
0: And yeah, I'm just interested in how this is going to pull out. So over the next several months, listeners, <laughs> I may yes. give you some updates on how my Trial Watch is going.
1: Wow. Okay. Is That's, what, that, that's the hashtag then, Trial Watch? sure why not (laughs) okay hashtag try watch people (laughs) all right i think it's time to get into our feature dave now as we mentioned at the start of the uh the episode this happened uh day after australia day so what was that the 27th of january uh you came up to sydney the new to who boys came across and we got together in your hotel room and we had a good chat
0: we had a good chat the topic was fantasy doctor who which like i say i, I was really you know that really fired my imagination i was really happy with that topic but doing it with others was really good but we explained the rules in the room with them and maybe it's time to travel back in time and discuss fantasy who with the new to who guys
1: let's do it <laughs> And here we are in a very timey-wimey way. This is a month ago now. We're in a hotel room in Sydney, Australia. I'm sitting next to Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello again, Rob. It's good to see you in person. It's weird to see you in person, but it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm real. You're real. Look, I can poke you and things. (laughs) And sitting across from us are two chaps from one of our
2: favourite podcasts.
1: Uh, Yes, we have the guys from the New To Who podcast.
0: Would you like to introduce yourselves?
2: Uh, Well, I'm Stephen. And I'm Dan. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Welcome to Sydney. This is weird. (laughs) It's pretty weird. We we were just um, saying the other day, it's weird to meet someone we've been listening to on a podcast for a time because it's weird to see that voice coming out of a face. (laughs) It's really strange. And and very
1: jealousy-inducing to see your equipment as well. (laughs) Audio equipment, I mean.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But we, we do need to make the point here for our listeners, particularly listeners in the UK we've got all of us in a room here despite the fact we live at different corners of a yeah. continent <laughs> yeah. so a big continent I've a big continent I've travelled up from Melbourne which is the equivalent of London to Rome and you guys have come even
2: further yeah we're, we've come from Perth and that is pretty much like uh, the whole width of Europe pretty much the, it's the best by scale
0: Yeah, that's like London to Moscow. So uh, if the Australian podcasters can all get in a room like this, our challenge is to our friends in the UK, let's see the mega UK podcast. (laughs) That's that's nothing. You should be able to do it too.
1: (laughs) Lift your game, guys. I I came from an hour down the road.
0: (laughs) So we're taking the opportunity with all of our friends in the room to do a podcast topic that we're calling Fantasy Doctor Who. (laughs) So we're very excited about this one. So the topic pitch was... If you were made the showrunner of Doctor Who, with the power to make the show you want to make, what would your first season look like? So, we've got a couple of rules. The first one is, you can make any creative decision that you like. It is your fantasy. So, we're not worried about budget. We're not worried about ratings. It's it's the show that you would make if you were TV God.
1: When you say fantasy, Dave, how, how far can I take that? <laughs> look, look, what it's, a, fam- it's a family podcast. Oh, okay. I will have to amend my notes
0: (laughs) (laughs) we're we're making it clear that this is a parallel universe so to speak so nothing here stops Jodie Whittaker's series from happening we're not saying this is in Mm -hmm. place of Jodie Whittaker we're we're very very supportive of that this is is just a fun exercise we have said that any casting choices must be alive and the age they are in 2018 so you can't have like 20 year old John Hurt for example (laughs) as much as that might be be a wonderful thing to do and the only thing that we've specified is you must include your choice of Doctor and any companions. But other than that, whether you talk about stories or setup or vibe or backroom or who's doing the music, I don't know. Oh, we're going to find out. So, keen for this one, guys? Very yeah,
2: much very. so. Steve's super. Yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> Steve's bouncing up and down. <laughs> exactly.
0: And we look forward, listeners, to hearing some of your suggestions for what might be your fantasy mm, Doctors yeah, and companions sure. afterwards. So, guys, I'm going to start with my pitch for my fantasy Doctor Who. We'll start with my selection for The Doctor. Now, I thought about a few actors here, and I'll be interested to hear how you guys went with this, because I found that just going for an actor you wanted didn't work. You need to go for an actor and then find a character that would match it. Mm. And a couple of the first choices I went to didn't work for that. Like, I was thinking about Jack Davenport for a while, but I just couldn't work out a Jack Davenport Doctor that would work. So the choice I've gone for for my Doctor is Tom Felton. Oh. who is the actor who played Draco in the Harry Potter movies. Yes, yes, He was in The Flash for a series. He was the star of the first series of Murder in the First. Mm. He's a 30-year-old actor from the UK, and I think he would be very interesting as a casting for a modern Doctor Who. Mm. So this Doctor I have is being played by a 30-year-old man who, who looks in his 30s. He's not a young-looking actor, so to speak. He's, he's had a good life.
2: He's not Thomas <laughs> Sangster. No.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm thinking of him as a cross between Hartnell and Pertwee, but in a young man's body. So this is a Doctor who really wants to explore and lets that scientific curiosity sometimes get the better of him and make what we might call ambiguously or moral ambiguous decisions mm. because of his desire to just go and explore or go and learn new stuff. And he sometimes forgets that his companions might not want to do that or that they might be put in danger because of mm. his desire to do that. So we're thinking like, you know, Pertwee at his worst in yeah. something like The Green Deer, Hartnell in the Daleks, that sort of a vibe. Um, He can seem very grumpy, especially for his age, but he's also got that Doctor-ish heart at his his soul as well. And he definitely cares about his companions, but he's driven by this intense desire to explore. So that's the Doctor I'm going for. I'm giving him two companions. Uh, The first is a male companion called Peter, who's being played by Alex Lawther, who's a 22-year-old UK actor. He was the young um, Benedict Cumberbatch in The Imitation Game. Uh, He's been in an episode of Black Mirror. He was in Goodbye Christopher Rowan. Mm -hmm. He's done a lot of things. Very up-and-coming UK actor, won a couple of awards. So Peter is an 18-year-old uni student. He's in his first year. He's very bright, but he's very geeky. He struggles socially, isn't really very outgoing, but he's really, really curious. And that's what drives him towards the Doctor. So he and the Doctor share this love of science. But a lot of the drama comes from the fact that because Peter's very timid, he doesn't necessarily want to go and throw himself in the way of danger. He's not the one that says, well, we'll go and fight the Daleks. He's like, I'm not sure I want to do that. That seems dangerous. <laughs> and sometimes the Doctor's off leading the way going, no, we're going to do this. And he's like, can I just hide in the TARDIS? <laughs> so the, but, but he loves the Doctor and he loves that, that scientific thing. And they share that drive, that excitement about the universe. But their motivations and their, 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 their clashes. One is out there taking risks and the other is a bit shy t- and a bit timid. So, I, that's how I see that dynamic playing out. And the other companion is a female called Lucy, who I'm having played by the actress Katherine Langford, who's age 21. She's the lead actress in 13 Reasons Why. And she's also going to be the lead in an upcoming movie uh, Love Simon. She is from
2: Perth, I think. She is from yeah, Perth. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, so she's an Australian actress. She's going to be playing an Australian backpacker mm. who has just got into the police <laughs> academy back <laughs> in yes. back in Australia. Excellent. So she's got into the police academy. She's got a couple of months before she starts backpacking around the UK and bumps into the doctor.
2: We we've never had an Australian backpacker on Doctor Who, and because, you know, even though they're ubiquitous across the world, you can't can't get away from them. They're everywhere. Yeah. Why hasn't <laughs> that happened yet? That's right. That's
0: so. She, she's, a, as I say, she's a strong young woman, she's about to be a police officer, she's very deter- driven by the morality of things, by what's right and wrong, Ooh. she's out there to solve the world, she's someone who wants to fix things, and maybe she's got an even more strong moral compass than the Doctor, and she's certainly a lot more out there than That's Peter cool. is, so there's a dynamic there where have got this strong older woman who wants to go out and fight justice, and a younger guy who just wants to read a book. So so that, that's the dynamic that I'm going for in the TARDIS And I'm going to, with the JNT rule There is no sexual tension in my TARDIS they are, They're not interested in each other They're different types of characters Not because there's anything wrong with each other But just they're not each other's type
3: Okay, no hanky-panky
0: on the TARDIS No hanky-panky in the TARDIS <laughs> So I've now gone and basically decided to define my series By the stories that I'm going to have So I'm going old school I'm having 26 24-minute episodes Ooh spread across eight stories so i'm going back to that 25 minute episode lots of cliffhangers but a lot of three partners as well you'll see because i really like the three parties in the mccoy era yeah and i want to see a bit more of that
3: but yeah definitely greater pacing with those ones
0: yeah and i think that it would that would actually work well in modern times mm-hmm. so my first story i'm calling cambridge spies it's a three episode story it's set in modern day cambridge so it's got that contemporary vibe. The Doctor is there and he gets caught investigating what the government thinks is just an everyday spying, like it's, you know, is it Russian hackers or something like that? But the spies actually are the lead for an alien invasion. Nice. So it goes from the government going, oh, we've got to stop these Russians to Hey, we've got to stop these people from the planet Zog or whatever it is. <laughs> and it's within that Cambridge environment that he meets Peter, he meets Lucy, she gets involved in it all, and they have an adventure and that introduces the TARDIS team in a modern setting, as I think is quite common. And I like that about the modern series. That it often starts with a contemporary setting the audience yeah. can relate to. My second story is a two-parter called Paradise Revisited. Now in this the Tardis arrives on the planet Matula and they find it just devastated by war. Like this is a planet that is just shattered, dying, there's been mass casualties. Part 1 they're just investigating this world going what happened? What happened? Now this is this is terrible and meeting suffering, you know, seeing the sort of the graves and the monuments to the fallen. Then they get captured by a group of government officials, and the cliffhanger is revealing that they blame the Doctor for what's happened. Ooh. Now, part two, it's just like there's nothing they can do. This, this planet's done. It's, it's over. So part two is just them trying to escape before the Doctor's executed for war crimes. Huh. And we don't know anything more than that, and they just get away. They just find this planet, they blame the Doctor, they get away. That's all we know for the moment. Uh-huh. Story three is called Blood and Glory. It's a three-parter, and this is a pure historical. This, sh- won't, this won't shock you guys. I've gone for a couple of pure <laughs> yeah, historicals in yeah, my heart. Not a yeah, not at all. Yeah. So in this one, the TARDIS arrives in England just at the time of the death of Edward VI, who was king, son of Henry VIII. Yeah. So the TARDIS team gets split up and gets involved in the power struggle. So the Doctor ends up with Queen Mary, uh, Lucy ends up with Princess Elizabeth, and Peter ends up with Lady Jane Grey who is declared queen for nine um, days yeah, at the start. Yeah, mm-hmm. So this is going to be very Aztecs-like in that the Doctor's going, OK, Mary has to ascend the throne. That's what history does. I've got to support it. And Peter meets this you know, teenage girl that's just been used as a political prop to become queen. He knows his history. He knows she's about to be executed in nine days. Or, well, dethroned and then executed later. But he knows what's coming and he's like, no, no, I, I can't let this little girl be sacrificed. And so the doctor's going, well, you have to. And he's saying, no, I, I really like this girl. We can't. This is not morally right. And you know, Lucy's in there with Princess Elizabeth, so there's lots of strong young women dynamics going on nice. there. And so yeah, that's where all the drama comes from. And look, history has to take its course, but that's where the, we have the drama. <laughs> uh, story four, I'm calling New Frontier. It's a four-parter. So this is the first four-parter of the series. It's a big space epic it's set in the 23rd century as the earth empire is expanding the TARDIS arrives on the colony Sirius 5 and there are some colonists there and there's a military ship coming to bring more colonists and bring supplies and at first the doctor's all like okay this is great this is humanity exploring the galaxy and settling down and there's an indigenous life form on the planet but they've made you know a treaty with them and it's the you know the humans get on and the indigenous life form you on with their life yeah, and it's all it fine the right and yeah. then <laughs> Then the Doctor discovers that the military isn't leaving because they've realised that there are some tactical reasons to stay on this planet, and they want to expand their military bases on the planet at the expense of the indigenous life form. Mm-hmm. So you've now got this clash between the colonists, the Earth military, and the indigenous life forms. Mm-hmm. And for a really good alien landscape, I'm filming this in Outback Australia. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that that could be a really interesting story. We're going to do space battles. We're going to do you know vast explorations in the wilderness. Culture clash... You know, all those sort of moral ambiguities, yep. A little topical as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, Story five is called Flower of Scotland. It's another three-parter. This is another contemporary story. It's set in Northern Scotland, just because I love Northern Scotland. (laughs) Uh, And this is a mad scientist story. So we've got a guy who used to work as a scientific advisor for Torchwood, but he was kicked out of Torchwood for being a little bit crazy with his experiments. He's gone up to the north of Scotland and now he's doing some real weird sort of Joseph Mengele-type experiments on people, like capturing people to do them. But he's, like, finding cures for diseases that you may not find by conventional research. And then the doctor's like, well, I'm going to stop this guy. This won't be hard. And then we find out that the government is actually secretly backing this guy because they want the cures. So, again, we get this big clash. What seems like a simple just mad scientist is actually mad scientist plus government conspiracy.
3: Nice moral angle to that one.
0: Yeah, I, I think we could get a really good one in there. And I, I could see one of the companions maybe doing the whole, well,
3: yeah.
0: you know, maybe, maybe you know, my friend died of cancer. If this guy can kill cancer, well, gee, you know, mm-hmm. what do we do? What do we do? Uh, story six is the second last one, the second four-parter. I'm calling it Visitation of the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just your classic Dalek story. The Daleks have conquered the planet Sidorat. They are using the natives as a slave labor force to build some new Dalek superweapon. Uh, and the doctor just has to work with the resistance to defeat them. And I'm filming this one in Jordan and Israel, so really Oof. different out there. Sort of um, environments, deserty, maybe some ancient ruins. But this is just a classic Daleks you know,
1: fight the Daleks story. And you've already done the scouting of those locations, Dave. I have, I have. I picked exactly <laughs> where I'm filming
0: this.
2: I like Daleks in the Middle East. It's a good idea. Yeah.
0: And my final story is the big finale, which is called Paradise Lost. On this one, the TARDIS arrives back on the planet Matula two years before their last visit. The Doctor gets out, he works out where he is and says, right, I'm getting out of here before I mess this up and cause the war. But just before he can, he realises that there's a space plague on the planet they can't cure. And if he leaves, everyone on the planet will be wiped out by the plague. So he has to stay and cure it. So all the time he's going, no, I need to leave, I've got to get leave before I cause what I might cause... But he can't ah. without not solving the plague. Mm. And so the whole drama comes from four parts of can the Doctor change time and prevent what the future that he's seen? <laughs> but he has no easy out. Yeah. So that's the big finale. So you hopefully you spend the season going, what happened? What did the Doctor do on this planet? And then the final epic is can the Doctor stop that happening?
2: Nice. I love a good space plague. <laughs> it's, actually, it's very terry nation yeah, yeah. yeah look i
0: i'm i'm very honest so they're my stories i'm very honest i'm mining all my favorite bits of yeah doctor yeah who. i'm mining you know the classic terry nation dalek stories great. the space plagues the historicals the man scientists this is to me like it, it kind of distills to me the essence of doctor who and i think i hope i've got kind of a good blend of the stuff that i love from the classic series and what would work now from an audience very much so but yeah very much my choice so what we'll do is we'll have a couple of comments on each of our pictures afterwards before we go into the next one. Okay. We'll have a larger discussion uh, at the end. Mm-hmm. But any any comments on mine, guys?
2: I love that you've got a whole um, season arc that's really well thought out. I think so, too. Yeah. I love the way that it pays off. I want to know how it finishes at the end yeah. as
3: well. How the Doctor actually circumvents that uh, temporal paradox. I also like the fact that you've got um, like a real modern day setting to introduce the characters in that Cambridge Spies one as well. I think that's really critical. You look at things like uh, Spearhead from Space Mm -hmm. or Rose, those sort of kick off stories. They need to be found uh, grounded in the the everyday, the real day sort of experiences of of its viewers. Um, And I love the idea of Cambridge.
2: You look beautiful
0: yeah I think there's a, there's something to explore there uh,
2: i I love time, I love stories that have little time tricks in, in them I, I always thought that if you've got a time machine why don't use it in the story like <laughs> they, don't, they don't often do it probably with good reason because you do would want to have it in every every story but i I love <laughs> the idea of going back to the same point before you were there the first time yeah so that last story is really interesting i, I want to find out how that yeah know. I think
0: that that's really what I think the season hinges on yeah, is, that, is that I love that pro and after
2: you nice reference to Milton as well if the titles like it thank you thank you
0: very much alright well that's my pitch we're now going to move on to Dan sure. to give yours So.
2: Um. well with mine because I, I was struggling with this because I, I don't this isn't the kind of thing I, I usually do as an exercise but I was racking my brains and Steve had the answer for me because it's something that I already has, have been lamenting for over a year yeah
3: well before Jodie Whittaker casting
2: yeah before the Jodie Whittaker casting I'm super thrilled about, about Jodie mm. Uh. Earlier in the year, someone told me, which and I had no idea that there was a very loose, very way off, like long shot idea of someone trying to cast Tilda Swinton. Like maybe she was a very, very loose rumor. And as soon as I heard that, I was. For about one second, just so excited, and so Tilda Swinton is my doctor. This is right. my. D- <laughs> yep.
1: That, that might have been us actually when we did our uh, oh, 21 replacements for Capella. Kapow- it was I your fault. He was one of them, so blame It was us. you. <laughs> so
2: as soon as I heard this, for one second I was elated, and then immediately just downcast. And I'm talking like hands in pockets. Walking down a dark street with a with a lone street light in the rain while while jazz plays because I knew immediately like that, it's, that she would never be cast like, you know they'd never be able to get Tilda and I don't know would she want to do it and but and it's also it would just have been brilliant and so that, she's my choice Tilda well, this is t- the whole point of a fantasy you can yeah, have anyone you want <laughs> you can have Tilda Swinton she's you know she's uh, an unusual actress. She's mm. pale and otherworldly, and she—I think she could play an alien so well. I mean, yeah. There's that. There's a film called Orlando that she's in, where she. Oh. Some people have called it a non-performance, but I just think it's like a total exercise in restraint, and she's just. Yeah, alien, hard to read, and just very strange. And I just—I've always thought that she'd play a great doctor. Well, <laughs> since last year. <laughs> <laughs> so this is my this is my revenge against the universe for not letting me have Tilda, <laughs> um, and because she's so odd and so. So unusual, I thought she, I mean everyone probably wants to throw this in, but i I thought she could do a really really wonderful regeneration crisis, someone being stuck in between, not knowing what 's happening, being confused, I thought she'd be really good at that and another another idea I mean another aspect of of Tilda Swinton is that she often played sort of characters that are a little androgynous, so someone I thought it would be interesting to have not only a female doctor but one that's not perhaps super feminine someone mm-hmm. but not but not particularly masculine but somewhere in... In between, she's an alien. She's a time lord. You know, gender means something different to them. I thought it would be interesting. Oh yeah. yeah. But that's just a the small aspect. I think it just would all come down to how she how she'd go for it. And there's a there's even a shot at the end of Orlando where she's sort of wearing she's wearing a motorcycle outfit. She just gets onto a motorcycle. She's got like an old brown leather jacket. And riding boots And I thought that would be really A really cool outfit I don't know A leather jacket a bit Eccleston, yeah Yeah, there's not been A lot of leather jackets In Doctor Who For good reason I think it's like You know <laughs> Choosing classic style Over uh, over like a motorcycle type thing But I think it could work I think she could do it yeah. Especially if it feeds Into that kind of Slight androgyny kind of a thing mm. um, And another thing I thought Well Because when When they picked Jodie Whittaker I started to think What kind of companions Are they going to choose For this Doctor for, for the first female Doctor It's going to be tough Because they can't Probably don't want to stick with the the young girl with a, with, another, with another woman, but they can't sort of flip it and go for like a young a young dude because that's going to be a little odd. Not as not as an odd choice as the the, the standard choice of an old man and a young woman, <laughs> but it's still a little weird. And so they've gone with an ensemble, right? They've got sort of two young people and an older man. I think that's mm. a good way to get out of it. Yeah, but yeah. something we've never seen um, because we've never had a female doctor. I thought would be really interesting is to have like an age contemporary actress, so that you'd have maybe two women who are not particularly old but not particularly you know sort of in their 40s maybe mid to late and uh, I thought it would be really interesting and there's an actress I've always loved called Lena Headey and she is I mean most people know her from Game of Thrones where she plays Queen Cersei and she's incredible uh, but she's been in lots of other things before that that I've, I've enjoyed and she most most of the times she's played sort of a, a little bit of a loudish Character, she's very funny, and also she's she always plays posh characters, but she's um she's actually from she's actually northern, so she's got a bit of a northern tinge to her real accent, which I'd love to have. I think there should be or there should always be northerners in Doctor Who, and I never think there's never enough. I just think there should be at least one in every cast because they're great. And um, so she's in her mid forties, and I thought it would be really interesting to have have that combo because we've never had it, and probably never will because it's weird. I know I'm going off a, a bit off the deep end here. It's a bit of a weird choice. No, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and. I've kind of been thinking about this for a, a couple of days, and I've, I've uh, when we when we had Clara leave at the end of um, that season, and she was sort of facing death, there's sort of that hint where she gets into the she gets into a TARDIS at the end, and she's determined to have a bunch of adventures before she finally caves, right? Mm. So, and we, we we never got to explore that, we never got to see any of it, and um, I was kind of disappointed by that because I thought it was such a great idea, and there's... Like There's also something that I've never seen on to who is just a character who's uh, terminally ill. And I, think, I know that's a bit of a leap and it's a bit out there, but like, it's such interesting possibilities for writing for a character who knows that they're going to, going to die. Mm-hmm. They're getting a bit morbid mm-hmm. and getting a bit weird here. But um, it's kind of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of fictional possibilities for writers. I'm not a writer, so I haven't written out my, my art because I'd write something awful. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the closest we'd have is maybe a Christmas carol that was That's, only one yeah, story there you go and that was very interesting I thought it was really in, interesting in itself I really so enjoyed it. stretching that across a series or something across, Wow, just
2: across a season like what would, what would the doctor do when faced with this person you know the doctor never gives up when they yeah. know someone's going to die but mm. also you can't it's never been a disease or something like that that he's had to fight and I don't think the doctor's going to step in and change that so what would the Doctor do in, in that situation otherwise? Probably take them on a grand tour, take them on a grand tour through the universe, show them things, yeah. you know, go on like a big last hurrah. And so I thought that would be...
0: I love the idea of seeing what will be the Doctor's idea of a bucket list? Yeah, yeah. exactly, because yeah. it's going to be crazy, right? It's yeah. going to be
2: way better than any, anything we could think of. And you know it's not going to go according to plan yeah, either. Yeah, that's the thing. As, <laughs> and as the season, you know, it's an interesting interesting idea, like should you save someone who's 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 um not not necessarily resigned to? I mean, there's, there's definitely stories in there where you could... They, the the companion gets angry, you know. Obviously, gets doesn't want to. They don't want to die, so they could lash out, and get angry, and there's lots of um, relationship possibilities there about um, how they deal with it, about how they deal with her impending death. And it sounds really morbid. The more I talk about it, <laughs> but I just thought it was a really it's an interesting idea. I wouldn't want it to get to Make a Wish Foundation um, mm. or too morbid, but it's just so many interesting possibilities for writing with that one. And um, another, just one other idea I had for a companion, which I've, which I've I've long loved. This little snippet of a character that we got in Invasion of Time. Do you remember? Is it Rodan? Yes. She, so a, this is a Gallifreyan. I can't remember if she's a Time Lord not <laughs> specifically. Not yet. Just a Gallifreyan who's um, she's very. She's been through. She's got books, much, and she's been through the academy. But she's she doesn't. She's sure. She's very sure of the universe, her place in it, what it means, what what people play which roles, uh, and I just thought it'd be a really good idea to, to pinch a Gallifreyan out of that somehow, out of pluck him out and. And on this same grand tour with this other person, sort of maybe show them that they don't know everything they think they know. You know, mm. so take, take, It's kind of like taking a Gallifrey and down a notch because they're always very pompous, right? I get sick of pompous Time it's and pompous... I hate pompous time. It, it, it's
0: that whole book smarts versus university of life thing. Yeah. yeah, so
2: you're taking someone down a notch and you're, well, at the same time, teaching them things and learning something from them. And I've always loved... There's an actor named Tom Hollander. He's a guy who's been in lots of things. I know him, yeah. Yeah, I think the first thing I ever saw him, he was... Maybe he was in Snatch, but he was in Gosford Park uh-huh. uh, and lots of other things. And he's a great actor, and he's also getting a little getting a little older as well. So that's three people over forty <laughs> in my Tardis. So when I say it's weird, it's not just like weird choices, but also probably going to run the show right into the ground. <laughs> I don't know if any kids are going to watch this. This is my fantasy Doctor Who. I don't care.
3: <laughs> no, I reckon there's a lot of dramatic yeah. possibility, particularly across the three characters there. Yeah. For sure,
2: just Tilda. I just Ugh. I can't believe anyone would, would not think that she'd be a fantastic Doctor. She of course she would. Fabulous. Yeah. And I, I can watch her in anything. I can watch her do anything, but especially <laughs> this. I think she's, it's like a role she was born to play. I think, mm. I think she'd be magical. And I've said it about 50 times already, but just very ethereal and otherworldly and, and mm. alien, I think. we. I mean, we've had um, Capaldi and we've had that sort of, that step back into um, gruffness and unapproachableness for a little while before we got back to that warm side of the Doctor. But I think it would be It'd be great to really You know remember those those flourishes that Tom Baker would do just to show how um, alien mm-hmm. the character really is we could just take it a little further every now and then and use Tilda.
0: If you said to me in a sentence Tilda Swinton plays Tom Baker <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> 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 Who would not want to see that? Of course, yeah, brilliant. Just
2: little bits, just little bits of bobs. But yeah, I think she'd be great.
0: That's my that's my fantasy Doctor Who. There's some really cool ideas in there. I, I'm, I'm just blown away by how different that is. That's really cool. Yeah. Love the casting. Uh, interesting note, Tom Hollander was, of course, in The Thick of It with Peter Capaldi. That's true. He's, uh, he
2: plays a great civil servant. Yeah. Which is why I thought he'd be a great Gallifrey. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, one thing that stuck, stood out for me, I love the take you've got on the regeneration there, because I think one thing that the show has struggled with going right back to the 80s is... Getting something new out of the regeneration, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and what you've done there with Tilda Swinton and the way she'll be doing with it, I think it's a really interesting take that mm. hasn't been done, and that would be really cool sure. to see. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
2: there's lots to do with the regeneration, but they—I they, don't know—we've had that. They've had the, that Davison regeneration crisis, and we've had people go mad for a little bit. But yeah, they haven't. I don't think they've got. There's still more to explore. I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I love it,
2: and and I like the, the thought of a grand tour because
1: I think yeah. it, it gives. <laughs> um, a purpose to the series without being a really
2: structured arc, but there is a meaning to what they're doing at the yeah. same time yeah. and it's you a little know, thing that a... can tie into every that's adventure. That's right, I quite like that. Yeah. I think there's possibility there about um, you know,
3: being able to go back to, you know, classic stories and, and New Who story settings as well as new ones as well, like sure. what the totally original. So you're able to pick from the best of what we already have and, mm. and
2: develop something that's totally brand new too. Yeah. I mean in a, in a way every companion gets the a little bit of a grand tour there's always those episodes where the doctor taken them somewhere yeah that they think is amazing so it's not it's not too much of a stretch
0: hmm. all right we'll talk about it more at the end but now rob it's your turn yes. to pitch
1: okie dokey.
0: i'll slide over on this lounge
2: <laughs> hello listeners
1: Sweet dogs (laughs) Sweet dogs (laughs) Um, Mine will come as no surprise to Dave And possibly the two chaps sitting opposite me My doctor is Samuel Barnett Uh, I knew it (laughs) My man crush My everything Samuel Barnett Uh, Of course Samuel's been in The History Boys Desperate Romantics He was in Beautiful People as the narrator And of course uh, Dirk Gently Which was recently axed And I'm very sad about that Mm. Uh, I'll move straight into The Companion I'll come around and loop around and discuss them as a, as a team The Companion, I've said this in the past too I would pick Charlotte Ritchie Who some people may know from the sitcom Siblings uh, Where she played a horrible character <laughs> Who was so funny uh, And she's also in Call the Midwife So she does have some, ah. some real acting chops as well mm. She's in the, the more recent series of that I think she replaced the, uh, the lady who was in Doctor Who What was her name? Jessica... Rain? For, yes, Jessica yeah. Rain I think she replaced her in uh, Call the Midwife I've caught bits of bobs of that show and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I would like this companion, I haven't given her a name yet, I haven't been as thorough as you, Dave, <laughs> to, uh, to come from the 1960s. Oh, nice. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for this. I, I think it's a really cool look. I think in recent series of Doctor Who where we've gone back to 60 stories, people have really quite liked that, whether it's an adventure in time and space or yeah. recreating the 10th planet or whatever. I also think it's a point of difference to just having yet another modern companion from... 2015 or 2016 or 2017 Definitely. or 2018, I think it could be really interesting. And it doesn't have to be in a really cliched way, not like, you know, having a companion like Jamie, you know, oh, what's this doctor? <laughs> you know, oh, it's a wee beastie in the sky or something, you know, and all this sort of nonsense. <laughs> I don't know what the lines are, you know, when he sees things like planes, you know, he doesn't know what they are. Yeah. You don't have to do that. I mean, the 60s is quite a modern time. And I just think you could have this really sexy kind of look to the Doctor and Companion. In some ways, I think this would be a very humorous series in terms of how Tennant and um, Donna yeah. were, were funny and humorous. It wasn't slapstick by any means. Um, there were some quite serious episodes, mm. but I think they could be really, really funny. Mm. So you have got this sexy, funny look, completely different to what we've had for the past few uh, series of the show at least. Even Smithy with... Um, with Jenna wasn't particularly sexy because Smithy had that sort of weird look whereas Samuel Barnett is quite a, a good looking chap conventionally too. handsome yes yes, yeah and I think if, if she's in the 60s gear and he's maybe slightly 60s or you know he's got nice. something going on it's just you can just picture them on the front of British magazines you know they've brought sexy back to Doctor Who and so I'm thinking along those lines as well so you guys are thinking of 40 and 50 year olds think, yeah. well Samuel Barnett's about 37 he's almost 40 but he looks young that's definitely yeah. going to Shift units. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's the idea. I'm sort of the T of this discussion, I think. Um, Barnett, I would like to see play the Doctor as a combination of McGann and Davo. You know, I, I think he's just got that ability. But of course, if he's a bit bumbling like his Dirk Gently persona, people might think he's a bit Smith like as well. Mm-hmm. But I'd, I'd like to see more towards that sweet, not always in control kind of youngish looking Doctor. Uh, which I think could work quite well. Whereas Richie would be playing it for laughs, and again, I think the, the best touchstone there is, is, is Donna. You know, which when we have looked back on uh, the whole of RTD's era, Dave, we were struck by how much we actually liked that series, maybe more than we thought at the time.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a combination that I think almost all fans now, however they thought about it at the time, except worked really, really well and has mm. aged really, really well, which is a yeah interesting th- touchstone. Mm.
1: I also think with the 60s being a setting, it could almost be kind of campy. Not completely campy, but just, again, bringing that humour into it and the setting, I think there could be a lot of fun to be had. It could be something quite different. Not every story has to be in the 60s, but certainly the companions from there, some stories are set there. And again, I've made a little note here. This, this humour I want to see in there, it's almost like a Marvel movies kind of humour. Mm-hmm. That kind of humour, I think that plays well with people. It's just fun. That kind mm-hmm. of Joss
2: Whedon, quick-witted,
1: lots of talking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And these two actors are very, both very good at comedy, so they could pull it off mm-hmm. very easily. Well, the first thing that I thought of when you started talking about
3: 60s, and particularly the humour and the sort of campness of it as well is the Avengers. Yeah. And I would
1: love to see Doctor Who does the Avengers with those two actors. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. Um, you'd have to be careful, though, not to tread the line of parody. It's very easy mm-hmm. to parody this era through Austin Powers exactly. and other sort yeah. of... Yeah, you've got to yeah. stay away from you know, Austin <laughs> parodies. And it's the, it's the first thing people might think of when you start going down that path. So you'd have to be so careful with the writing. Can't give her a beehive. No, no. (laughs) Or a pointy bra or something like that with a machine gun in it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, the the 60s is very sexy. I think of episodes like The War Machines or The Invasion. You know, we look back on those, we think, oh, what a great setting. Mm -hmm. Oh, look this woman, she's a photographer. She's taking pictures of Zoe. Like, why can't we do stuff like that? Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) You know, to have characters like that happening. So it's a different vibe. And yeah, look they are all the notes I have. I wasn't as completist as oh, Dave no, on, on my notes, drama. but uh, that let's, would be my vision.
2: Let's all stop apologizing for not being a star. <laughs> <right>.
0: <laughs> no, no, that that's great, Rob, because I totally get the series that you're producing. Mm. I can imagine now what it mm. looks like, how it feels, how it goes over. I, it, it's a total pitch and I'd yeah, as you said, Steve, Doctor Who does the Avengers. That is that is that is just <laughs> yep, sold. <laughs> yeah. some, somebody finance that now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which I guess now brings us around to our fourth and final entry, Stevens. Okay, look,
3: ladies and gentlemen, I want you to come with me into a parallel universe where my fantasy Doctor Who exists side by side alongside Jodie Whittaker, but perhaps alters the rules a little. If the BBC at some point, and I'm sure they will decide to rest Doctor Who for a period of time, and he's hoping it's not 16 years again. Or perhaps they're looking to you know, genuinely crack the American market to a point where it becomes as big as Star Trek over there. I think what you would want to do is Doctor Who on Netflix. Yes. <laughs> and I think the best way to do this is to go back to first principles, back to the start. And I'm talking about not just a reboot, but an actual restart all the way back to the Hartnell stories. So in 2018-ish, my Doctor is Sir Ian McKellen. Playing, <laughs> oh. playing the first Doctor in the Netflix originals in Quoted Mark series I think he very much embodies that sort of silvery old man who's mercurial but nonetheless authoritative which Hartnell very much did and I'm struggling to think of another actor out there that could match Hartnell for his performance mm. so as far as I'm concerned he'd be my Doctor it's,
2: it's almost cheating <laughs> <laughs> Ian McKellen, you can't have Ian McKellen, of course you can it's fantastic
3: in terms of Susan, well, I think, and keeping the Netflix theme here, uh, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things would be an incredible Susan. She's got that, you know, you mentioned the ethereal quality for yeah. Tilda Swinton. I think she definitely has that as well in her performance as Eleven, and I think she would pr- translate that as well into into Susan. Um, Otherworldly, not quite fitting in, obviously a, a product of another context and time and, and totally. era. So I think she would, she would bring that in, in spades. My Ian and Barbara, well, we've actually seen them before related to Doctor Who, uh, actually within Doctor Who. My Ian is Tom Riley, who played Robin in Robot of Sherwood. Ah, yeah. So he's he's born 1981, so he's, he's sort of like that Ian Chesterton vintage, if you like, going back to that sort of uh, uh, mid to late 30s, sure. um, straight down the middle kind of guy, um, would provide, I suppose, the the arms and the legs, the action for, yeah. for the... Um, for the older doctor, um, and would very much replicate, I suppose, that younger man, older man dynamic that we yeah. have as well. I think between the two of them, I can see, I can see a chemistry between them on screen. Let's get to the most important part. Who's your Barbara? <laughs> <laughs> it is with great pleasure that I would cast Jessica Rain as my Barbara. Right there, we go. A <laughs> second name check for this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I think she is absolutely stunning. Yeah. I think she would make a fantastic Barbara and would, uh, would be as great as the great Jacqueline Hill.
1: Was it her turn in Hyde that tipped you over the edge and that, like wearing the retro clothes and how she looked there?
3: You know what? It was, but it was also uh, an adventure in space and time um, as well, and I think those two performances together just sort of screamed it for me, so there wasn't anyone else that I even considered for that
2: part. She was great in, in that. Yeah. yeah, she was great. In,
3: ter- in terms of what you would actually do with the season, I guess what I'd look to do is to uh, renew, revitalise, if you like, the Hartnell era. So the best way that you could do that, I guess, is to pick the best of the Hartnell stories and compile them into a season's worth of Mm. of stories. And you redo them on a Netflix budget in the same way that, you know, (laughs) same way that you're able to, um, uh, Dave, you were saying, go to the desert of Australia and, um, you know, the the Middle East. Mm. Do that kind of level of, 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 of shooting. Um, Financing it properly so in terms of my stories, well let me guide you through what I've selected as perhaps my favourite of the Hartnell ones and the ones that have the most potential in terms of a Netflix uh, reboot or restart you'd have to start with an unearthly child I think and certainly part one would be the way that you introduce it. We we're talking about this before, Dan, um, off the mic, but the idea of having the doctor arrive with a young girl in the first instance can't work unless it is a grandfather, yeah. granddaughter. Yeah. It just looks too weird if you if it's someone who is, you know, like a normal companion, there's no relation there at all.
2: We're so used to it. I think it's it's pretty normal and they've made it pretty chaste over the years. Yes, yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. But you don't have that assurance when there's <laughs> yeah. a police box standing in a junkyard and there's an old man in a young woman there or a young girl in this case so i think you need to set that up again you need to go back to uh toddlers lane and, and and redo it and i you know what i don't think i would change the script all that much i think it's a perfect yeah. piece of television it's one of those stories that i give you know and I, there's probably like six in total out of the entire classic and new canon that i give a 10 out of 10 to that first episode is a 10 out of 10 for me mm-hmm. and i absolutely love it um if you like that would serve as a pilot so i guess that would um, that kick off the the whole thing and at that point i'm looking to go back to the daleks yep would and at this point i guess what you're going to what you're going to sort of pick up on is that i've i've maintained that sort of forwards sideways backwards in time structure that they used in series 1 both in terms of well, season one, but also series one with the Eccleston as well. And I think, I think that's a nice way to sort of introduce the, the premise of the show to, to a new audience, and in this case like a mi- mainstream, <laughs> not just American, but worldwide audience as well. So I'd go The Daleks. I'd then go, th- um, I'm going to rename it. It is, uh, I suppose, Edge of Destruction, but I'm going to call it th- uh, Flight Through Eternity. <laughs> 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 and back to The Aztecs we then go through to, I'm going to call it the War Machine, which is a redoing of the 1966 War Machines. It's a 2013 setting, 50 years into the future, so from 1963. And I want to explore, I guess, you know, Skynet, but in a more sort of uh, realistic and, and modern day setting. We then go sideways in Planet of Giants where the miniaturised crew lands itself in modern day or then modern day 1963 London mm-hmm. and I always thought that was um, a, a lovely chance for Ian and Barbara to, to realise or think oh we're home we're home and they step out of the TARDIS and of course they're shrunk to the size of an ant and that sort of missed <laughs> opportunity and the sort of ruin that they would have about oh we've, we've, we've lost our chance our one chance to get home. At that point, we go back to Marco Polo and basically do it as is. That is a beautiful script, a beautiful story. And I'm really sort of only just going from the John Lucarotti novelization, which has lived long in the memory for me. And we finish, um, I suppose, the midpoint of the season with The Dalek Invasion of Earth. And that, you can just imagine that with a big budget on screen. Huge like scale. Netflix, it yeah. would be, whew, Amazing. Right, chilling. Um, I guess maybe at that point Susan departs and we sort of left with, with Ian and Barbara. And I'm not really sure at this point. Maybe we start introducing the Stephen Taylors and the Dodo Chaplets and Ben and Polly's. But essentially, um, I'm going to run through the rest of my episodes. We've got a Dr. Light next. It's Mission to the Unknown, which is just setting up, I suppose, the, the big uh, arc that will come in the second half of this, this season. Um, I want to go back to, at that point, uh, Troy and look at the Trojan horse story and the Doctor's involvement in that, I particularly want to do so because, for me, the Doctor reminds me of two figures from Greek mythology. The first is Hermes, the the, uh, mercurial god. But in terms of the the mortals, he's most definitely Odysseus, the wandering, Mm -hmm. travelling, far-from-home Odysseus, And I'd love to have an examination and an exploration of those two characters side by side, particularly because Odysseus was responsible for uh, the ruse of the Trojan horse. But of course, in the Mythmakers, we have the Doctor being responsible for uh, coming up with that idea. We then go back to the web planet, Doctor Who and the Zabi done on a big budget. I think (laughs) that would really work. You can butterfly men and, and giant ants and the idea of the animus, which in the Bill Strutt novelization terrified me as a kid.
1: I think there's a lot there.
0: Can we get Martin Jarvis back to play a butterfly man? Could we please? Let's
1: do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just think of the effects you could use there. Which class episode was it where they went to a planet? It was all colourful. Yes. And and they did amazing effects. So that was on classes' budget. So gosh, they, what can Netflix do? Yeah, they deserve a big budget, those
3: mm, guys. Definitely. And I think the next one as a sideways in time would be, well, I'm going to change it a bit. I'm going to take the Celestial Choymaker and drop the Celestial. I love the idea of an... Uh, a Fenric type uh, villain if you like an omnipotent sort of supervillain that exists out of time I think you could do that I think you could do it in a really sinister chilling way in terms of the games that are played Mm. and I'm thinking most particularly about the Avengers episode the house that Jack built uh, where Emma Peel is is trapped in a a deviously sort of uh, uh, designed house with all sorts of deathly traps I think that one could be done particularly well we then go uh, backwards in time And I've taken a huge liberty here and I'm hoping that Dave doesn't react badly because (laughs) I've dropped one of the Hartnell stories in favor of a missing adventure that I read in the 90s that was blown away by. And it's Andy Lane's The Empire of Glass where the doctor goes back to uh, Venice at the time of the Doge in the 1500s it is a beautiful story and can you imagine the first doctor in Venice at that time (laughs) it would be glorious it's a great excuse to film in Venice absolutely (laughs) and this is something that
0: I'm thinking about with all of your pictures is I'm thinking Marco Polo filmed in China exactly This story, you know, The Emperor of Glass, filmed in Venice. Yeah, wow.
2: (laughs) Or even just filmed to look more like Venice, more than before.
0: Well, I think
3: I mean because it's it's one of those novels that really stuck with me from the '90s, and uh, it wasn't until many years later that I picked up Italo Calvino's Invisible Cities, Ah, um, which is, uh, if you haven't read it, I think it's the most beautiful book written after the Second World War. This is a book we both we both love, love don't we? Yeah. Yeah. The idea of the traveller of Marco Polo retelling stories of his uh, of all the different cities that he's Come across on his ways and his travels, Uh, so I think those that sort of has a personal reason uh, uh, resonance to me. We then finished the season off with two heavy hitters. It's the Daleks' Master Plan. And I think what you could do is really tighten that script and make it, again, just a massive, massive epic uh, space opera, which would be incredible. The idea of the time destructor, uh, the way that it also ravages the Doctor's body, because that leads nicely into the 10th planet, the regeneration story. So I guess it kind of provides more of a direct... Uh, cause, if you like, for the doctor's body wearing out if he's uh, if he's been exposed to the um, the time destructor in in the Dalek Master Plan, and with the tenth planet, I don't think I'd change too much. To be honest, no. I think it's it's that base under siege sort of model that's introduced for the first time in Doctor Who. It's a cracking story. The Mon, the appearance of Mondas, and yeah. then of course the regeneration uh, in the Arct- uh, Antarctic uh, wastes uh, and in he, the TARDIS. And
2: you've got to keep a Z bomb, man. <laughs> 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 exactly.
3: So that'd be my season one. And just to wrap up here, I think what you could actually do is to do something similar for all the other seasons as well and all the other Doctors. If you have essentially 13 episodes for each of the Doctors going forward, recast Troughton. Who would that be? Recast Pertwee. Well, obviously it's going to be short, Sean Pertwee. Maybe the fourth Doctor is <laughs> Tilda Swinton. For the fifth Doctor, I see Eddie, Eddie Redmayne. Mm. These, are, these, are char- these are characters that can be inhabited, I suppose, by, by modern day actors and particularly good ones as well that I think a big budget net- Netflix series would entice yeah. um, they wouldn't say no to it because it's you know BBC television, they would say yes to it because it's Netflix and a global phenomenon mm-hmm. the other thing that I would like to do is as you're going through this, I think what you could do, Doctor Who benefits from the fact that it doesn't have a bible but sometimes I wish I could go back and rewrite little bits of history, little details just so that things sort of nicely flow and what you could do is to seed ideas and characters and plot points and whatever else um, I think that would be really fun and it's too late but the one thing that I would love to have done is to have a recurring character who is essentially the last Doctor played by David Bowie. Oh,
2: my God. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. You mean just popping up through Every now and then. Like the Watcher kind of yes. thing? Wow. That would have just been incredible. It's a great idea.
0: And in terms of long game... Could you imagine having something in An Unearthly Child with the Hand of Omega oh, yes. that doesn't pay off until Season 7?
3: Exactly. <laughs> when you do the McCoys. <laughs>
2: exactly geez. right. Why was David Bowie never in
3: Doctor Who? Well, I, it wasn't. Uh, it's an apocryphal story, but wasn't he meant to be uh, Shara's Jack in The Caves of Androzani? Oh, which would have been great. Christopher Gable is incredibly in yeah. that part. I wouldn't
2: recast him, but the Vicious. idea of Bowie as Jack just is... Wow. Well, he played, we already know he plays a great villain. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be a little different to his previous turn, but like, man, yeah, just to play that vicious, like twisted character would be amazing. Yeah. But so, yeah, Bowie would be my
3: my last Doctor, an unspecified future version.
0: Well, there's a lot to unpack in that one. <laughs> uh, a couple of th- points that really stand out for me is I love the idea that you're taking this Netflix path mm-hmm. because I think oh, you're right. At some point, that's a bridge the Doctor who is going to have to cross if it's going to have a future and I love the way that you've, you've thought about that I also love the reset idea there is a part of me that you know I wouldn't throw away what we've had for the last 11 years no, no, but, no. but there's a part of me that goes maybe RTD should have done a hard reset with the story and made Eccleston the first Doctor of a new series ooh interesting it's dangerous so, <laughs> it, it is dangerous, but just so that they can do kind of what the new Star Wars movies do and say, "Look, we love all the previous canon, but yeah. we're, we're going to kill
2: everyone. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs>
0: going to start from day one, so that rather than doing the story Dalek and having to tie it back with all of you know forty-five years of Dalek history, yeah. you just do the Daleks how you want to do them. Do the Cybermen how, and he kind of did do that with the Cybermen. He did.
2: Yeah. So
0: you know, not have to worry about the third regeneration's rule because we're, we're starting again.
2: That's exactly. out the window now, right? Anyway.
0: Well effectively, yeah. So yeah, I I love I love that freedom there, but You know, as a Hartnell fan, obviously, I'd love to see these stories remade on a massive budget. It would be brilliant. You know, as you say, the idea of Marco Polo in that actual setting filmed well. Mm. The Daleks' master plan as a full, you know, mega-budget CGI space battle. You know, that's just incredible. Uh, And finally, just one little reference there that you have, because I love the idea of redoing the Toymaker. And you mentioned him as a Fenric character. Mm -hmm. Have you read DWM's Brief Encounter?
3: Yes, I have. In Doctor Who magazine?
0: Yeah, with Fenric versus the Toymaker. It's beautiful. And And they're playing four-dimensional chess, yes. It stayed
3: in the memory all these years later.
0: Me too, me too. So yeah, I thought that might have been in your mind and I'm glad it was. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'll quickly say, I was waiting for Farewell Great Macedon to pop up. Oh, you could do that, couldn't you? Yeah, I can see
3: that. It's definitely a wonderful idea. Doctor Who and Alexander the Great. That would be brilliant.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I just think you're cheating. It's just Ian McKellen is like a... (laughs) It's like pulling, pulling God out hey, of your pocket. Hey, it's Fantasy I Doctor know. Who, and I'm the showrunner. It's fantastic. It's like having God play Doctor Who. He would have so much... F- you know that he would just be having the mo- the best time ever. Yeah. He would just have so much fun.
0: And that, I guess, segues us into our more general discussion looking back at all of our pictures. One thing that really interests me is that there's been a real mix in picks, both of Doctor and Companion, of big names and also very medium names. Yeah, yeah. Like, we haven't all gone for... Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart... Um, you, know, <laughs> oh. like, you know, Tildes... Like, know, wouldn't be a Hollywood actress... Ian McKellen be a Hollywood actor... Yeah. But uh, Rob and I have gone for... Slightly lesser known... I mean, sure. Tom Felton is a, is a movie actor... But he's not, I think, A-list. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And in the same way... Particularly with our companions... We've gone for picks that are very much... Television actresses that... Mm-hmm. Or actors that... Many people would have seen... But aren't A-list names. Sure. Like, we haven't gone for Emma Watson, for example... Which would be, you know, an obvious pull... If you're a studio executive and you're doing this, I'm sure you go, you know, someone like an Emma Watson. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, we've got a really good mix of A-listers and, you know, B-listers and C-listers, which interests me because I think Doctor Who is at Best doesn't just go for that one. It, it mixes that.
3: That's a good point, but I never intended that. I mean, my, my starting point was always the characters and, and who would be the modern-day equivalents, but I guess maybe it speaks about the construction of the characters and the way that they're not meant to be A-listers, you know, the Doctor certainly could and probably should be if you're doing a Netflix re- uh, restart. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the other supporting characters, it's not to say that they're lesser characters or lesser actors, but I think, you know, the sen- central character of the show is always going to be Doctor Who, and the changing and evolving cast around him, I guess, uh, doesn't necessarily need to be an A-lister.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think that's something that's come out with all of our pictures. Something else that I think is common with all of the pictures is they all embrace in a big way... The adventures in time and space. And if we have, it's a fantasy, you have unlimited budget, you can film anywhere. And we've all specified, you know, we're going to go film over here and we're going to have an adventure down there and in here and we're going to go back in time (laughs) and forward in time. And just stuff that I'm sure every Doctor Who production team kind of would love to do. If they had the budget. If they had the budget. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting, again, just to raise the Netflix thing, I, I think that's where Doctor Who's probably going to end up. In, in the future at some stage? I wouldn't be
3: surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think uh, it's the next frontier, really. BBC Worldwide have done an amazing job mm. in sort of promoting it, particularly the American market through BBC America. Mm. Um, Matt Smith and, and Moffat were absolutely critical in that success, but um, I still think that next step up can only really be achieved through a Netflix, through a, an Amazon
2: or something like that. Or Disney's Netflix Ooh. killer. Yeah. So, but do you mean taking it away from the BBC and giving it to Netflix or sort well, of a joint uh, thing? To, well, because there's plenty of BBC stuff on Netflix. I think you're right. I think you could probably have to, you'd have to do it together you need to have
3: it's a very sacred sacred stewardship i, I, I t- entirely understand and you know there's no greater defender than the <laughs> BB, of the bbc than myself but i think i guess they would be involved and they would have uh, to some degree a say in the creative direction of it because essentially it's their properties that you're uh, recreating but in terms of the american know-how and the way of doing things uh that would have to be it would have to be done in a very different way to the way the bbc mm-hmm. are doing it
0: can I ask you a tough question then, Steve? Please do. If you were negotiating this deal and Netflix was coming to the table, but they said, "Okay, look, you can have a British doctor, mm-hmm. Susan can be British, but Ian and Barbara need to be Americans." Americans. Is Ooh. that a deal breaker, or do you do you compromise?
2: Americans on Doctor Who is such a <laughs> is, is anathema to me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 going to consider. I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand. However, what I will say is. The rooting of Doctor Who in November 23, 1963, in the east end of London is central to the identity of the entire show, not just that one episode, not just that one series, not just that one Doctor. I think you would have to really convince the Americans that, trust us, this is something that has outlived all of us and will outlive all of us. This is the way to go.
0: Yeah, and I think that you pull Harry Potter as the... um, Oh, good call. Uh, precedent for that, yep. because that is what J.K. Rowling said. She said, "Look, I'm happy to sell you this franchise, but it is British and it is a British thing. Mm, yeah. It's not just set in Britain because I happen to be British. It, it is it is intrinsically based in Britain, culturally part of the
2: that, that yep. is. rooted in so many uh, yes, in British definitely. Yep.
0: And and she did make that. I think that the Harry Potter movies were the success that they were as adaptations. Yep. Because that she stuck to her guns on that.
2: And here's
3: another point. I think that in terms of uh, cultural artifacts, it sort of mirrors the way in which Americans and and British ha- uh, see their own history. You know, uh, I guess maybe sort of alludes to the fact that you know America is you know relatively a, a young country, and maybe there isn't that sort of uh, inherent. Uh, Understand not understanding but that sort of you, that lived experience every day of walking down a street that's a thousand years old mm, or yeah. you know that comes with Britishness as
2: opposed to Americanness yeah. well, and so that respect for it maybe that, that comes through as a result you're surrounded by history all the time all and, the time and, and yeah. especially London all the different time periods are all stacked on top of each other and yeah. smushed together with cement exactly yeah. and, and so I think maybe you need to
3: capture that at, and the, the best way to do that is through British stories British cast
0: always I'm going to ask you a question of the three of you. Now, I specified that I was doing 25-minute episodes. Mm. You guys, are you doing 25, 45, 50 an hour? What, what would be your episode style?
2: God, I, I love a cliffhanger, so I'd kind of want to go That sort of... I'd like to have more two-part stories, so like the two, two half-hours or two 45 minutes. So like, kind of like the two-parters we have now, but just a few more of them.
1: I was thinking very much along the lines of what is now traditional 45-minute episodes. Mm. And in Netflix, there are no limits. (laughs) So
3: essentially, you can tell a story in 22 minutes or it could take six hours if you wanted to. (laughs) And you could break it up with cliffhangers and essentially sort of have a story that is multi-part. But it wouldn't necessarily have to be in a forty-five or twenty-five minute um, slot, it takes as long as that story takes
2: to tell in the best possible way. This shows on Netflix, whose running times, like in, within a season, vary. Of know, course, ten, twenty yeah. minutes, like our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> House of Cards is a classic example. Some are yeah. fifty-two, some are an hour and thirty totally. minutes. Yeah.
1: yeah, definitely. Did did anyone at any time, because I know I did, consider doing their series as an animated series? Oh, wow. Ooh, God. using the same actors just as voice actors? Huh.
0: I'll idea. be honest and say no, <laughs> okay. but 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 I am now. That's, yeah, yeah
2: I love the idea, Rob. Mm. I think, gosh, that'd have to be a big budget and with a lot of a lot of time to do it because it takes you know it's yeah. a long time to produce those things. But
3: I can see I can see it. Like I'm thinking space battles, and and you think back to you know Japanese Japanese anime sort of style yeah. animation. You could definitely work.
0: I'm I'm thinking now. Ulysses thirty-one. Mysterious Cities of Gold. Uh, think, yeah, yeah. That, that's where my mind's going, and that could be really cool. Because mm. you can
2: really do anything as long as you got the budget to produce an animated series. Whatever you can put on the page, uh, yeah. You don't need special. Effects. There's a freedom there. You're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking
1: of throwing it in as a uh, as a curveball, but yeah. I, I, I withheld
2: it. But I, I reveal it now.
1: Just <laughs> <laughs> maybe as an animated series, I don't know.
0: One thing that occurred to me listening to all of the pictures, it, 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 and it's something that you know is no shock or no surprise, but it just reinforced the flexibility of the series that oh, yeah. all of these pictures I think could absolutely work
2: mm-hmm. I feel like mine, after listening <laughs> to yours I feel like mine is the biggest bummer out of all three but, but you've got Tilda Swinton man just, I just miss I miss a little bit I'd just like to bring a little bit, I want a wild, a fun adventure but I'd just like to bring a little bit more pain back to the Doctor, you know we had the Sylvester McCoy who's a little sad, like he started out as a clown but then he got sort of sad and there's a little bit of pain there and when we had that sort of trying to find Gallifrey Plotline kind of start and not really go anywhere. There was that sort of pain of loss, and like I think Tilda Swinton, especially and Lena Headey, she's, who's played a lot of characters with stone faces, but she also does pain really well. Mm-hmm. I thought we could put just inject a little bit more of that in. Yeah. So
0: Dan, if you came and made that pitch to me, and I'm now the studio <laughs> executive, I'll be saying to you, mate, I know your pitch this as a TV series, but could we do this as a movie? Ah, yeah, right. And oh. and say, okay, Doctor Who on a TV series is one thing, but like the Peter Cushing films let's do a Doctor Who movie that stands in its own mini universe Mm -hmm. and and I think what you're doing in there would work as a wonderful two hour movie sure so maybe that could be where your your pitch goes yeah
3: I think the great thing about Doctor Who is you're right, Dave, it, there's a multiplicity in the avenues of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, I, I said before about the Bible, it actually, well, one of the, the negative things about that is that it constrains you. If you don't have one, what you have essentially is the ability to retell the same story over and again. And if they conflict one another, so what? The Greek yes. myths did exactly the same thing. And you know what? They're better for it because of the multiplicity of the tellings. Mm-hmm. So I. You know, To me, to have Tilda Swinton in a movie sort of uh, <laughs> sitting side by side with um, all of the others that we talked about today, all of that is entirely possible. I'm not sitting here with a nerd hat thinking, oh, but how do you get from that point to this point? It doesn't matter. You can tell these well,
2: stories. I've said a few times on our podcast that I I, I loathe canon and I hate getting trapped. Tra- <laughs> I like continuity and I, I do have a, a soft spot for stuff like that, but I, yeah, you should never be a slave to it. Exactly. Forever. Tell the right story. Yeah. I, I
0: agree with you. I think that if you can have a hundred different versions of Hamlet all different all definitive but the same story but different actors different takes different settings you can have so many different but wonderful versions of Jesus Christ Superstar you know the one that is slavishly set in you know 31 AD the one that's set in the modern times everything in between different interpretations why can't you have Mm. a different version of an unearthly child a different Mm -hmm. version of the Aztecs a different version of the Keys and Mariners I I just think that that there is no argument against that yeah but yeah, in terms of the the variation or the variety that's available, it occurred to me that in the set of stories that I've put forward, any one of our TARDIS teams could fit in perfectly <laughs> and do those stories. Yeah, that's true. Like, and 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 vice versa. You know, I'm, I'm sure my TARDIS team could do all the things that you guys have pitched, mm-hmm. and that just shows how amazingly fluid the the structure of the show can be. Yeah.
1: I'll throw in something else at this juncture. There is an almost a reboot of sorts that, that Who Dares Publishing is going to do. And it's not new. It's the Dr. Omega stories, those French oh, stories from yes. the turn of the century. And I'll just throw in that Who Dares Publishing is about to start a new run of books based on that. And and they have these covers. It's almost like Hartnell, but with a, almost like yes. a little mohawk. <laughs> He's got this little wisp of hair in the middle of his head. It's, oh, maybe that's so they don't break copyright or something. I don't know. I- so, I love the fact that they're
3: almost. I think they predate, don't they, from the 1900s? Oh, early Dr. 1900s. So it's fascinating to think: did, was this a source material
1: for the BBC team when they were putting it together? Well, they were French, and you'd think Sidney Newman might know some French and Canadian, have, yeah, and <laughs> may have seen these. And yes, because they are very, very similar to Doctor yeah. Who. So are there
0: any particular stories or ideas that somebody else has come up with that you've sat there and gone? no I'm having that for my series <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm going to start and go look there's some great ideas I love many of the pictures but Dan that idea of a companion who's dying that's just <laughs> so out of the box mm. and so different that I've gone even if they're just in there for three or four stories yeah. right you know maybe not maybe they don't do a whole season but just they're there you know they, they're they introduced they get a couple of adventures and then they pass away that's again something so different so dramatic yeah. I reckon I, I could pinch that bit for my pitch
2: whether or not they do actually die at the end is, is up for it but like there's all kinds of possibilities. You, you have the doctor arguing with his, with her companion about whether to save her or not. There's there's pain, there's grief, but then there's also joy because the if you're going to if you're going to go, why not go all out and, and party to see the universe? Hmm. Like so, there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities.
0: Yep. So I'm stealing that to augment your pitch. <laughs> what about you guys?
1: Yeah, look, I'll I'll actually second that because I do like A Christmas Carol so much and that could have been stretched out so much further. There is a a lot to mine there. Um, The thought, and I'll go to Stephen now, the thought of redoing Doctor Who stories, not even necessarily first Doctor stories, but just redoing stories. Mm. Oh, I love that idea. Maybe you could redo them as animations. Then there's something different, just <laughs>
2: lavishing like the attention and the budget that they deserve. That's right.
1: Because we're talking proper animations here. We're not talking BBC Charter animations or
2: or whatever. We're talking
1: real animation.
0: <laughs> or movies.
1: Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'd love to see standalone
3: movies of some of the classics, definitely. But you know, you talked about. Um, uh, Cambridge spies. I, I can see that on the big screen. Yeah, we, we've seen The Imitation Games in recent so days, uh, recent times rather. We've seen um, you know a whole bunch of of, of sort of films that um, you know, uh, Kirby, uh, what is it, Philby, um, Burgess, and Maclean, so, um sort of setting of of spies in Cambridge. I love that setting. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely pinching that one for so, at some point.
2: I love the, this sort of 60s, that fabulous 60s yeah, adventure <laughs> kind of kind of thing. I feel like so often when movies in 60, uh, movies and TV do the 60s, they go straight to sort of the clichés and everyone's everyone's yeah. wearing swirly patterns and has big hair but like it, there's definitely a place for it and you don't have to do it all out it could be a little subtler but uh, I, I just love that idea of the avengers and oh, doctor who as the avengers definitely because that to me is just gold and i can't believe it hasn't been done the yeah. closest
3: the closest is a short trip story sure. by paul mars where the 8th doctor and sam jones are sort of recast as as steed and peel and I <laughs> It's so short, but I just love it so much. I keep going back to that story. And if, if Doctor Who could do that in the 60s, oh my With God. With some great guitar, yeah. <laughs> guitar soundtrack, surf guitar soundtrack.
0: I was actually going to say the closest I reckon Doctor Who got was season seven. Ooh. You can almost, I reckon sure. that you could almost put Steedem's peel into Spearhead, Silurians, Ambassadors, yeah. Inferno. Yeah. And they would work. This sure is
1: a bit Emma Peel, you're right. Yeah.
0: And and Pertwee's definitely a bit small. Oh, yeah. Is yeah, I mean, line? of course,
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but but I, I know what you mean when you say uh, shows do go for the parody route almost straight away. But you think of saying like Life on Mars or Ashes to Ashes yes, and how they did periods Claudius, like yeah, that. Yeah, and and if it was like that, just great. Mm. Yeah. What's like what's and all type of thing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, I think that just about wraps things up, uh, fellas. I'm I'm stoked with this discussion. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been, been so, so much, much fun. <laughs> and it just leaves me to say thank you for coming to Sydney to, to have it with us it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful and thank you Dave for flying up as well obviously from Melbourne too
0: it's been an absolute pleasure I've, yeah. yeah this has been a wonderful fun discussion yeah. I hope the audience enjoyed it and I look forward to hearing not only what you guys thought of our pictures but who would be your doctors who would be your yeah. companions yeah Definitely. let us know
2: what a giggle I, I, yeah like I said before I don't often get, to do, get the time to think about this kind of <laughs> stuff and it was really fun listening to your pictures yeah that was great fun thank you gents for having us on uh, it's been an absolute
1: blast yeah so, fellas, if uh, our listeners have liked hearing from you, and I'm sure they're already listeners of yours, but if they're not, <laughs> where, where can they find you? Well, our sweet dogs can find us uh, on a number of
3: platforms. Our website um, where you can stream our episodes is www.newtohoo.com. Uh, we also are on Twitter at new to who Podcast. Um, catch us also on Facebook on the same. Uh, we've got an email if you want to send us uh, longer correspondence. We haven't had too much, so please send it through uh, new to who podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, and of course, catch us on your uh, podcatcher of choice. Yeah, wherever
2: you get your podcast, uh, just look for new to Who. And I mean, if you don't, if you're not familiar with us, it, with our sort of our sort of pitch is kind of we're sort of trying to maybe introduce someone who's watched New Who but not a lot of Classic Who We're trying to find episodes that are good not only our favourites and ones that we think are like mm. classics on their own but uh, stories that are good entry points for people who are more familiar with the new than the old but to be honest I mean, it's just an excuse for us to w- waffle <laughs> about our favourite episodes so it's kind of open to open to all
0: and, and let me say as somebody who is entirely familiar with the classic series I still love listening to you and sure. hearing your takes about what you like and, and oh, don't thank like you. so yeah lots of fun and thanks for being here with us
1: thank you cheers Jens. Okay, and now back to uh, Dave and I in the future.
0: Well, thank you for that, Rob, in the past.
1: <laughs> that was pretty good, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I, that was a really enjoyable chat. I, I'm, you know, I not see you praising our own work, but I, I did have a really fun time having that conversation and I really hope that our listeners enjoyed as much as we did.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, for once, um, half the show wasn't us talking. You know, so we, we can actually praise it because we weren't involved. It was the other two guys
0: talking. And didn't they come up with some really cool ideas and some really yeah. out there ideas?
1: Yeah, and, and we were all so different from each other.
0: Yeah, that that was really neat. So I'm really looking forward to what the listeners make of our different attempts at, <laughs> at creating a Doctor Who, a fantasy Doctor Who.
1: <laughs> and if you want to imagine my face when Dave's talking, uh, just picture a look of horror as I realise Dave has thought of companion names <laughs> names of episodes and I was thinking oh I didn't prepare this much has everyone prepared this much because you went first Dave and I thought is everyone in the room going to be this prepared except for me <laughs> thankfully <laughs> thankfully no you had over prepared I think
0: oh thank you for that <laughs> uh, in one little bit of um serendipity since we did the recording when I nominated Alex Lawther to be one of the companions that I had mm-hmm. I've since binged watched Uh, the new Netflix series, The End of the World, uh, in which he stars and is absolutely brilliant in it. So I feel even more justified in my pick of that.
1: I've seen a few friends start to comment on that show and they're saying, I don't know whether this is really good or really bad. I thought that was an interesting sort of comment. Is it that kind of show?
0: It's a really out there show. I I think it is very good. It is very shocking, in particular the first couple of episodes. It's the sort of thing you can really only do on Netflix and that really has a home on Netflix. Mm. Uh, but it is only eight 22-minute episodes, so it's very easy to sit down and watch. And I really got into it and really enjoyed it. The performances are very, very good.
1: Oh, good. Now, at the start of the episode, we said we'd also mention the flight through Entirety Guys too, and having dinner, and we'd mention a bit more about that. Obviously, after we did these recordings with New to Who and had some lunch later that evening, we went out and we got to meet more people well that i had never met before but you'd met some of them i think before dave
0: yeah i'd met two or three of the flight through entirety guys before uh and a couple for the first time and we include their their um bond finger colleague james selwood who also joined us and i certainly do remember meeting james way back at whovention in 2000 i think maybe
1: Mm, and who i found out works at my place of employment but we won't say where that is
0: (laughs) Actually, no, I tell a lie, ninety six I think I first met James Selwood. There we go. Wow. That would have been the same time I first met Todd as well, so yeah.
1: Yeah, and we and we had this lovely dinner. I think that's an ex bowling club and they've turned the greens into like uh fields where they grow food for the restaurant. It was it was a really nice joint actually.
0: Uh yeah, yeah it was. It was a very, it was a very pleasant evening just chatting to people that we've, you know, listened to for so long and Finally got to meet, and there, there was a bit of inside Beltway talk about how we're podcasting and Doctor Who.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a great evening, and uh, you might have seen some pictures, listeners, on our um, Facebook feed and our Twitter around the time it happened.
0: Yes, and there may be more coming of that later in the year.
1: Yes, but we won't say any more about that.
0: Now, Rob, we don't have any uh, emails this month, do we?
1: No, no, we don't, Dave. So you know, sad face. <laughs>
0: That's all right. Maybe we'll get some uh, some emails about our topic from this week. Hopefully we'll inspire some people to tell us who their fantasy doctor and companion team might be.
1: I think maybe we knocked people into submission with uh, the length of our last podcast.
0: <laughs> that said, though, I have to say I'm really very humbled and very happy about the feedback that we got from that mm-hmm. episode. Because, you know, we we were a little just, you know, privately between you and, you and me, listener, we were a little bit concerned that the length and the the topic might be a bit too much or might we might have overplayed our hand, but we've had some really good feedback from the episode. It's really nice to have heard from you guys. Um, I was particularly flattered this morning driving to work when the I'll Explain Later podcast was on. I was listening to the latest episode of them. Mm-hmm. And they not just gave a shout out to our podcast, but particularly referenced a point that I'd made as part of our discussion. I thought, wow, they were really listening.
1: That's when you know people have been listening. <laughs> That's for so sure.
0: That was really cool. But... One point I did want to raise, and I think it's a really important one, because in amongst some of the praise, we did have a couple of people raising some points where they thought that we were actually not just sort of you know mistaken in, in opinion, but but got it wrong. And mm. in particular, uh, J.R. Saddle from the Blue Box podcast, and he was backed up by a couple of other people. This wasn't you know a one man vendetta or anything. Mm. Made the point that we that he thought we'd missed the point of Time of the Doctor when we talked about. Clara going back and being a part of all of the Doctor's past adventures, mm-hmm. we'd miss the point that, first of all, the Great Intelligence goes back and messes up all the Doctor's adventures, and then it's Clara who goes back and puts them right. Is that my understanding of the episode?
1: Uh, in terms of the story, yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I can understand how they would feel that in a narrative sense, we'd miss the point of that episode, and I, I, I do think that's a really good point to discuss, And and let's you know, be honest, we don't do these podcasts to give you the Sermon from the Mount and tell you how it is. We give them to no. you to hopefully inspire some enjoyment and thought and debate and discussion. And if we've done that, you know, mission accomplished. And I think we did with the last one. So I, I think that's a really important point of debate. I I'm, I, I can see where they're coming from, and I don't disagree. I also think, though, given the trope of the Moffat era, which is Moffat a showrunner, going back and rewriting or putting a stamp over aspects of Doctor Who history, mm-hmm. that lifted this from being just a one-story thing to being part of a, of, of a large trope. And I think we were right to call it out in that respect. Yeah. But yeah, I do get that maybe we, we, hit, we, we missed uh, or, or failed to mention any important aspect of that. And yeah, that's something that others can discuss and reach their own conclusions. I'm, I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong, least of all us.
1: Yeah, but I, looked-
0: I thought it was a really important point to, to raise.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, you know, there's a lot of different opinions out there. None of them are wrong, and uh, I I know that I just didn't like the way Clara was used in that episode. And I think it was Jr. And if it wasn't, my apologies. Was saying, well, if you're not going to have the companion do, you know, big things like that, when are they going to do it? And I guess that's fine. I I just felt that over time. oh Look, I'm, I'll end up getting into my Clara stayed too long rant, and, <laughs> and and they just had to find new things for her to do all the time. And ah, oh, Dave, oh no, I can't get on the Clara track again. I, no, no. Let, I, let,
0: let, just let's just say,
1: Clara.
0: let's just say that we we totally understand the point that others were making. I I, I do concede they 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 have you know writing aspects, and you know, let's 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 be happy with sparks and debate and some discussion. And others will continue that and reach their own conclusions and that's what being a doctor who fan is you know about it's all part of the fun
1: yeah absolutely no emails but plenty of discussion out there on the episode uh, for sure yes right now next episode dave we have a topic we do what is it rob topic for next episode dave and listeners is classic monsters that new who brought back
0: yes there's a lot that we can talk about here but we would love to get some listener feedback for this one particularly because I think there's going to be a lot of very different opinions. So what we'd particularly like to hear, and if this isn't prescriptive, you can give us more or less, it's up to you, but mm-hmm. we would love to hear some some feedback telling us which one you think is the best classic monster they brought back or, or, or done the best, I think I should say. Yes. Which do you think was done the weakest and which is the one you want to see back?
1: That's right, because there's plenty that haven't come back yet.
0: Oh, there's a, there's a heap. There's a heap. I've got a few suggestions to be prepared so uh and i think that could be a lot of fun because there are some that they've done so so well mm. and others they've done so so badly
1: yeah and some they've done in unexpected ways but if i say more we'll be getting on to next month's topic we will so <laughs> we, can't we do that
0: we will so we really look forward to hearing from our listeners on that one and having that chat at the end of march
1: absolutely and i'll get out there on the facebook and the twitter and you know remind people about it because i think that would be a good one to have some feedback on Now, Dave, before we go, we should probably mention what's going to pop on our feed in a couple of weeks' time.
0: Yes, a little topic that we're calling uh, Fandom in the 80s, 90s and beyond, which is a very uh, nostalgic, very perhaps indulgent look at our time in fandom, but it has the virtue of being recorded literally live, in person and unprepared.
1: Yes, Uh, this was another thing we did in between talking to the New to Who guys for our show that you've just heard, in between talking to them for their shows that you'll hear later in the year, in between going out uh, before we went out to dinner with the FTE guys, (laughs) we had a quick little chat, well it's not quick, I think it's about an hour or so, about our fandom and where we've come from and what we've done and conventions we've been to, conventions we've run All sorts of stuff, and uh, it's a charming little chat. I've been editing it over the last week or so, and it's it's a good little chat. But as you say, maybe a bit self-indulgent to be a a full-on episode of the show, so we'll just drop it as a sort of in-between episode.
0: Yeah, so if you're somebody who has been in fandom for 20 or 30 years, and maybe you'll share some of our reminiscences, and some of them will echo your experiences. If you're someone new to the show who wants to know what it was like back in Doctor Who... Before the internet and before DVD and, you know, before the wall came down.
1: Before autographs (laughs) cost $50. Yeah.
0: If you want to know about that time back, you know, the age of the dinosaurs, well, you can listen to that as well and hope you get something out of it. But, yeah, it'll be on our feed in a couple of weeks and there'll be plenty more specials over the sort hopefully you've got used to over the next, over the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Series three of the show is but young and we've got a lot of uh, distance to cover.
0: We have. But until then... I've been Rob. And I've been Dave.
1: We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash the DW show is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, or names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and/or copyrights for the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.